0: So what are we talking about today? Uh, <laughs> we could
1: talk. Well, I uh, we could talk about your tractor and what your plan is with your tractor. I know that's one thing that uh, somebody didn't like the comment that I made that you should make it orange.
0: <laughs> Dear people are like that. I guess so. Hey, Will, welcome back to Clean Slate Farm Podcast. How you doing? How you doing, buddy? Good. So, let's get right into something that's been that I've been thinking about. You have a resort now, you're a resort owner?
1: I am. Uh we uh just recently closed on a property back in November here uh that uh we bought as a piece of commercial real estate and an investment for our family and uh it's uh it's been an interesting adventure so far.
0: So, tell me a little bit about this. It's you say a resort. I'm not thinking like casino or anything like that, right?
1: No, it's not a casino. We uh um, it's 15 acres of property up in Northern Wisconsin in a town called Birchwood, which is the bluegill
0: capital of the world, by the way. Bluegills, ooh.
1: Yes. Um, it's on a, a fairly large lake, Lake Chatech. Um, we have 300 feet of frontage, 15 acres of land. Um, there's 40 campsites currently on the property, but we're going to be actually my first charter is to double the size of it up to, to 80. There's a bar restaurant overnight whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: camping. Whoa, back up a minute. You're going from 40 to 80 ca- campsites? Or cab- yes. cabins, uh, campsites. Wow,
1: yep that that's the the first piece. Actually, I uh, just recently met with the township and the board, and next Friday I have a meeting with the DNR to get all the approvals to uh, do the expansion.
0: DNR, so explain. Uh, Department
1: of Natural Resources. Oh, okay. Because it because it's on the water, uh, there's a lot of regulations that you have to adhere to when you're developing and doing commercial development for. A property on water so yeah, because we have cabins on the water because we have campsites on the water You got to make sure that you're up to snuff with all the different departments So mm-hmm. not only do I have all the challenges of a hotel. I have the challenges of a restaurant a campground And um, a lake you know, on a lake so you know all of it comes together
0: Oh, how much fun now you've got campgrounds and there's cabins involved with us as well?
1: Yep, we have five three-bedroom, one-bath cabins that are open from May 1st until September 30th. Actually, for the most part, the entire property is open from May 1st to uh, September 30th. It's really a summertime place just because the infrastructure isn't in place to support it in the winter.
0: Okay. Now, I see you posting every once in a while, like 110 days to go. Is that still opening?
1: Yeah, uh, May 3rd of this year, which is the Friday before fishing opener, is when we're technically going to open the property back up again. So, right now it's off season. We're doing a bunch of remodeling, repairs, uh, trying to fix things up, kind of get some systems in place. Mm -hmm. And then, hopefully, by May 3rd, we'll be ready to go for a great season.
0: So, a lot of renovation going on.
1: You know, you know me, I'm a big fan of DIY projects and, and, project plans and things like that and that's that's really what we're doing. I mean we're taking a very, very large project and breaking it into a bunch of small parts and and doing a little bit on each one of them. You can't do it all at once. Nope. You'll burn yourself out if you do that. But I do the kind of the step approach like I always had and it served me well and this is no
0: different. Just like the restaurant world you create a checklist and go through it one by one, right?
1: Yeah. You're in the restaurant business, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I manage restaurants and right now I'm a lead server. Um, uh, just a little background for, I think I've told you, I had a heart attack a couple of years ago. It was a stress heart attack, N- nothing serious, but the doctor said, got to stop managing restaurants. So I co-manage, I'm not involved with the, uh, scheduling or anything like that. I just manage the wine list, beverage list, uh, make sure the restaurant's set up and cleaned up properly at the end of the night, get everything going. Works out less hours, less stress. I like it.
1: Nice, nice. We have yeah. a wine list, too, but most of it's boxed wines at this point in time.
0: Yeah, yeah. We have boxed wines, too, for cooking. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So as long as we're on kitchens and stuff like that and restaurants, you have a kitchen in this place. And I saw you just bought some – what what are they? Like giant air fryers?
1: Yeah. So the, the property itself – and. and- I don't know how much we want to get into the weeds on this, but restaurants are they're all different styles of restaurants. There's low complexity and there's high complexity. So like a white tablecloth. Uh, restaurant that you go to that serves a specific meal and steak dinners and that kind of stuff, probably high complexity because they're making all of the stuff. Low complexity is a restaurant like you'd go into where they're reproducing or or preparing stuff that's already been cooked or pre-cooked. And we fall into that category. We're uh, primarily a bar that also serves food. So because of that, you know, we have a standard refrigerator and freezer. Um, we don't have any deep fryers, but we actually have something called air fryers. So we have air fryers and pizza ovens yep. and grills and things like that. Real basic, you know, we're a burger and french fries, um, yep. you know, pizza type operation. You're not going to yeah. get, you know, a top shelf steak at our, our
0: So place. what's the, what's like the, the pot? What kind of, uh, how do I phrase it? What, what kind of a load do you expect in the kitchen?
1: Well, and how many you know, what,
0: seats do you have in the restaurant? And...
1: Good, Good question. Um, It's very small and boutique. The restaurant primarily serves uh, the campers and the people on the resort. So one of the benefits of our property is when you're staying in the cabins and you don't want to cook dinner, you can walk up to the bar restaurant, have a drink, and have a pizza. The restaurant itself seats uh, 35 people, and we're expanding the outside uh, which will hopefully be a nice surprise announcement we'll have here in April if I can get the permits approved. But we're adding uh, seating for 30 out on the deck mm-hmm. uh, overlooking the lake. So oh, that'll be nice. My hope is having that open for grand opening um, this spring. It all is weather dependent, of course.
0: Yeah. Now, this is going to make you a busy guy.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it, it's nice. So th- th- this project is a big enough project where I don't have to take it all on myself. I do have a, a staff of individuals that are working in the bar restaurant, uh, some maintenance folks that will work out on the property. So it's not just like my yeah. normal mode, which everybody kind of knows me for Of I dive in and do a lot of stuff on my own and do a lot of projects. This one. The beauty of it is all of the projects I had previously done are kind of building up to this. This is basically just a bigger version of it. And this time, there's enough in the budgets to have people help and work on the property and those types of things. So I think one of the things that happens when people get into these businesses is they try to take them on themselves and do everything. And you just – there's no way you can. No, there's, It's basically no. impossible. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because 35 seats plus another 30 outside, that's going to give you 60 seats. And for those people listening, that's how restaurants – kind of judge what kind of staffing and what kind of kitchen they need and everything. And you go by seat numbers uh, and what style of food. So 30 seats is, that's going to be a lot. Uh, well, so.
1: the one nice thing about it is, is that for one person. We fall into the, yeah, definitely. And one nice thing about this is we fall into a category where our stuff is low complexity. So I'm not, you know, coming in and putting in, you know, two dozen steaks in the sous vide in the morning and getting right. the salad bar ready and those types of things. This yep. is, you know, you come in for, uh, a beer or wine or you know a mixed cocktail or drinks and then you get you know a basket of fries and yep. uh, you know fish fry or a, mm-hmm. you know a pizza or something like that. So complexity wise, it's very low complex, which allows us then to have a better output. If if for the folks that are listening on the restaurant side, that's right. really what our goal is. Yeah, low complexity, higher
0: output. Yeah, uh, and again for those people listening, what Will is talking about is the type of restaurant that I work in. Everything is scratch made, so we have our our all the cooks come in or service starts at five. The cooks come in at two o'clock and they start working through their list, what they have to do to get ready for dinner service. So all their mise en place. And if you watch our YouTube channel, you are watching our YouTube channel, I hope, uh, if you watch our YouTube channel, I talk about mise en place, that's getting everything in place so that when the restaurant patrons come in, you're ready to go. All you have to do is pick it up, start frying it, plate it, send it out because you can't be in the middle of service especially like at our restaurant, it it seems to be between 7 and 7.30. If we have uh, 100 reservations, we'll get seventy, sixty-five, seventy 65, 70% of those will happen in that hour and a half. So you can't be in the middle of service stopping to chop up garlic and whatever else. It's got to be ready to go. So that's the difference between what Will is talking about and what the rest, rest type of restaurant that I work in. So I
1: I will say this. One of the interesting things is, I mean, the learning curve is immense for a project like this, just because I'm learning all the things about the health codes and food safety and, you know, staffing. And then you have all the complexities of serving alcohol and beverages and, Mm -hmm. and property and things like that. You know, so that's this is not just a DIY project for us. This is really something that's expanding a lot of horizons for us in a lot of different areas, which is, you know, right up the alley of the things that I like to do.
0: Yeah, no, it's a whole new learning curve. Yeah. So, yeah, because restaurants are pretty complex things. Uh, At some point, I'm going to do a a podcast talk a little bit about what goes on in restaurants and what it takes to go from your phone call to make your reservation to the time you leave. The dance that goes on in the front of the house and in the back of the house, and then how the front of the house and the back of the house, meaning back of the house, kitchen, front of the house, dining room, how that coordination makes sure your plate comes out, goes to the right seat, at what the right table. And it's it's a lot of work. Yeah.
1: yeah, definitely. I I find it interesting. I was doing a live stream on our YouTube channel a couple of weeks ago, and we have a lot of followers from both the resort itself and the people who have followed us from the weekend homestead side. And we were talking about, you know, the kitchen and, you know, that we just uh put uh, have the air fryers there and the different things. And somebody's like, well, why why don't you serve eggs? And I said, well, let's talk about you know, those eggs that are 99 cents at Aldi for a dozen of them or whatever and the complexity to get into it and in talking about, OK, well, if you want to have eggs, I got to have something to fry them on. But if I have to have something to fry them on, then I need to have a hood and a fire suppression. But if I have that, then I have to upgrade the electrical to match that and the septic to match the cleaning side and
0: and, and so on and track. so forth. Yep.
1: yep, exactly. So my 99 cent egg addition uh, for the egg sandwich, is a $35,000 renovation. How many egg sandwiches am I going to have to sell in order to, you know, even just break even on something like that? So yeah. those are the things we're learning about and trying to figure out right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty complex business. So your plans then, you're going to upgrade the campgrounds, right? Uh, do you have power to the sites or...
1: Uh, Yep. So all sites on on the property. uh, Well, let's break up the campground a little bit in in a little bit smaller groups. So we have the dailies, which are folks that can come in and they can rent out a spot. Uh, It's got sewer, uh, water, electric and cable TV at those sites. So we have uh, five of those that people can come in and rent out for daily or weekly usage. Uh, we have 40 sites that are what are called seasonals where people rent it for the season. So they buy basically a season pass. They can park their equipment there and leave it. We have 40 of those right now. I'm in the process of adding an additional 40 of those um, onto the property with one of the largest construction projects I've ever undertaken. Yep. Um, You're going to need th-
0: that, that grinder machine that went through your woods, right?
1: Oh, we're going to get into some <laughs> some real serious equipment. I mean, I was meeting with some engineers last week, and we were talking about, you know, how many inches of fill grade need to be put in. And I think I'm ordering 9,600 cubic yards of gravel. Oh, my God. So, I mean, we're talking major, major equipment to do this. Um, but all those sites will also have sewer, water, electric, and cable TV. Um, the campsites? You know, yeah, exactly. Yep.
0: They'll have cable at the campsites?
1: Well, got to remember, that a lot of people use these as their home away from home, so but they'll park their up, RV there. Oh man, yeah, yeah. We, have, well, I mean, we'll have cable TV there, but you know, it's it's uh, quiet time at ten o'clock, so you know, you can party all you want up till about ten, and then you gotta just party a little quieter. Sh- That's shut all. it down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so let's say We covered the campground, the cabins, the plans, uh, and the kitchen a little bit. Uh, how big is the kitchen? Uh, professionally, it's, it's always interesting to know these things.
1: Um, I think it's, uh, feet by 14 feet total size. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's two refrigerators, one freezer, three pizza ovens, two air fryers, your standard dishwashing equipment, which actually I got to work on upgrading. We don't, everything is hand washed right now and we're definitely getting a commercial dishwasher in there. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. It's
1: just just, a lot of things that I'm thinking about on the property are upgrading (laughs) things for efficiency more than anything else.
0: Yep. Uh, so you don't have a flat top or a stove top you you nope. air fryers
1: no no overhead uh no overhead hood other than in. yep just it has a standard hood in there but it doesn't have uh anything that would support a deep fryer we could put right. in a deep fryer but the amount of money that it would cost again to upgrade yeah. to do that is just
0: it's, a it's too grand. much to
1: bite off oh, it's thirty five thousand is what our price was for a hood fire suppression yeah, and a set yeah, of deep fryers
0: fire suppression I forgot about that yeah wow okay that's cool so now uh let's talk a little bit about because this is an undertaking it's a huge undertaking uh as you've said and how did you go about coming up with this plan for a campground resort area and and what are what's i mean (laughs) i'll let you go
1: (laughs) It's not it's not a easy uh, just, oh, yeah, we're just going to go buy this and go. It's uh, what we had been doing is and if you've been following along on our YouTube adventure, we have a property in Wisconsin. Um, you know, we started out with really nothing and then been building it up and doing remodels and adding infrastructure and doing all sorts of things like that. And I don't want to say we've been playing resort for a number of years, but we host different parties and events. I mean, our last party had, you know, hundreds of people. We've had some weddings out on our property. And all of those different things have kind of built up a a confidence in our ability to execute something. And we've been making it bigger and bigger and bigger as time has gone along. And my parents used to have a place in a resort like this. I'm very familiar with them and things like that. You know, grew up around, you know, this type of property. And we had seen some people be very successful in the area with it. And I've got some business background. And we started looking into getting into things that we could invest in. As we're getting older, we want to start investing for our retirement. Mm-hmm. And apartment buildings and, and strip malls and things like that, yes, they are exciting, but they're not as fun as a resort. No. And we kind of wanted to have a little bit more fun with our lives, so we had started looking into it, and I'd been shopping and researching this for probably about five years now. And then, I'll be honest with you, it just happened to come up on the radar that a resort about five miles south of the Weekend Homestead property went up for sale, and it was all the right things at the right time. And we knew what we were looking for when it uh, happened. And we happened to go in and we put in a, a bid and our bid was accepted. We went through the buying process and November 14th, we became owners of a business. So pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. So there's a, there's an awful lot of work that has to go in. I, I mean, you just don't say, yep, we're going to buy it. This is more than buying a house, I presume.
1: Yes. I mean, I will tell you this, that if you ever consider buying uh commercial real estate, like normally when you buy a house, you get a mortgage and then you um, you know, make a down payment on it for buying a piece of commercial real estate. Depending on what it is, the qualifications for banks are a lot more stringent. Usually, they have to have 30 to 40 percent down when you're buying a, a property. A lot of banks will interview you to find out your business background or your experience to make sure. So, you know, buying a house, I'd I'd like to say it's a lot easier because you can go find a house. It's really easy to get first-time loans. There's a lot of government programs that help you do that. When you're looking at buying a business or a commercial piece of property they do a lot of due diligence on the people who are going to own it because they want to make sure that you're going to be successful at this and sure we had to go through a pretty big vetting process to get to the point where we did this
0: yeah and you're going to open up in may so you've got uh like a hundred and something days to go
1: yeah 109 days to go we have a countdown by the way if you want to follow along on the weekend homestead uh instagram page and facebook page otherwise you can look it up as the bear paw resort uh on uh, facebook and we're we're counting down and updating everybody on the projects it's really cool i mean unbelievable group of people everybody at the township have been great everybody at the county i've talked to a majority of the folks who are the seasonals and i even got to talk to some of the folks who are renting on the the weekends for the cabins and things like that and everybody is just phenomenal and nice and it's just we're pretty excited
0: good so the the community that the property is in is is being receptive it's not like hey who's this guy
1: No, actually, I went to the first town hall meeting because I had to get my liquor license and everybody was like, who's this? And I got to talk and stand in front of everybody, explain who I was. And, you know, a lot of people afterwards reached out to me and, you know, had conversations or called or even I had one person show up and just say, hey, I want to come here and help. Uh, What are you guys working on today? And I'm like, oh, we're hauling, you know, this garbage out from this area. There's a building that was full of stuff. We're going to load it up and haul it out of here. And they came over and they volunteered their time to help. I was like, wow, this is this is awesome
0: neat that's good because that's that has to be one of the giant hurdles to get over is acceptance by the community so Good.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things where you can I've heard horror stories. I mean, in the process of doing this, of course, you do your online research and you hear about the folks who buy a resort or buy a piece of commercial property somewhere and didn't realize that there's a ton of baggage that comes along with it. And, and you know, of course, there's going to be that with any property, but you just kind of work through it. But I know that some people have been set back because of challenges and communities that they're in and things like that. So nice sure. thing is, is this community has been really supportive.
0: That's good. So let's talk a little bit about, we got the resort though. what's happening up at the homestead? You, guys, you uh, got a lot of snow up there, didn't you, just recently, or cold? What was it?
1: We, well, we've gotten, uh, all the snow actually went north of us. So we've got probably, uh, probably about an inch or two of snow on the ground, which is the lowest amount of snow we've ever had for this time of the year it's actually been raining yeah it's i i don't want to talk about the politics of it but i will say this that there's got to be something going on because normally it's 10 below and we're up to our knees in snow at this point i've got a dusting of snow and it's 30 degrees outside here in the first part of january which is pretty surprising for us i I, you know it's good for my apple trees and good for the bees but at the same point it's that's going to come back to bite us at some point in the summertime or even in the spring
0: yeah, it's. uh We've had weird weather here too. It's you know we've had uh, we're, we're lower than normal on our snowfall, and it's been a little bit warmer than normal. I think I, d- I don't know. I'd have to look at the records on that. But uh, but we had a nice warm snap and the bees came out, and then we had a cold snap and we had eight hives. We're down to three, killed three of them. So, wow. Yeah. I'm. Do you I'm,
1: do you do you keep your bees outside then, or do you store them yeah. in the barn, or where do you do? What do you nope, do with them?
0: They're all outside. Now, we're treatment-free beekeepers. We don't do any treatment. I guess the only treatment you could say we do is we put what's called a mountain camp feeder on top. And that is, a, I fill that with sugar, powder, uh, granulated sugar with newspaper underneath it. And that does two things. If the bees need feed during the wintertime, they've got access to that sugar. So they've got the calories and their their energy source there. But it's also sugar is hygroscopic, which means it absorbs moisture. So it keeps the moisture down inside the hive because they will still create moisture in there. And you don't want that dripping on the bees because then it freezes and it kills the bees. Wow.
1: Did you uh, get honey this year off your bees?
0: Yeah, we got, uh, I took, we started the year out with two colonies and I split that to eight. Uh, And we took every, uh, I only took honey from the two colonies that we started with. And we got about 170 pounds, so. Wow. Yeah. That's good. And, well, we'll see what happens next year. Beekeeping is uh, not for the faint of heart. If you don't like seeing bee colonies die, don't get into beekeeping because it's going to happen, especially in the north. We
1: actually lucked out. I was doing an internship this year with a local beekeeper and going along and tagging along. And so far he said he hasn't had too many losses uh, this year. He does it uh, commercially. Cause I think he sells the, the honey commercially in, right. in large grows. I think he had 50 or 60 hives that we were managing this summer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I plan to do the same thing again this year. I'm hoping maybe to have our first two hives out on our property also, but mm-hmm. it's, it's just fascinating to to see how it all works and how it all comes together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, with 50, 60 colonies. He's probably pulling about 2,500, 3000 pounds of honey. It's a
1: lot. The the extractor that he had was just massive. It was mounted on this big concrete pad inside of this building, and when he turned it on, he said it sounded like a helicopter. you just hear it going. <laughs> like yep. it was just shaking everything as it was doing it, but they they do an awesome job, and it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I'm going to do a video about our new extractor, because we started out with a two-frame extractor, which is two of the frames, for those unfamiliar with beekeeping, that the bees build and then put honey or pollen or, or or what's called brood, the baby bees, uh, in those. And <clears throat> the first time I did that, it was like, you, your arm's going to fall off cranking that thing to get the honey out. And then I moved up to a four frame, and that worked better because we could get more honey faster. And then my arm, I, I, I mentioned earlier, I was, when I had a doctor's appointment this morning, I think I have a shoulder problem. So I finally gave up on the hand crank, and I found a... It's the same extractor manufacturer, but they have an electric motor on it now. And that, anybody beekeeping out there, get rid of the hand crank, because that thing extracts a lot of honey. That's because you just turn it on and let it spin. You don't have to worry about it.
1: Could you take the uh, one that has a hand crank on it, and do they have an adapter to make that a hand crank one?
0: Yes, but the electric model I bought... Uh, was I think three hundred and ninety nine dollars. The conversion kit was like a hundred and ninety nine. So it's just why bother? Gotcha. Okay, just, that makes sense. And plus the way the frames sit inside the extractor. Uh it's a, they redesigned that so it makes it so the flames don't frames don't flop around and bust up and stuff. So works well. I like it. Neat. Neat. So, yeah and and then I I have to respond because I posted on Instagram that we finally paid off our tractor. We got a sweet deal from John Deere at five years, no finance, which allowed us to get a bigger tractor. Uh, and I finally made the last payment on it. And somebody, I don't know who it was. Somebody said something about, maybe I should go orange. I, I remember, do you saying, remember that comment.
1: I, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of funny because like it's uh, the Ford and Chevy or the John Deere and the Kubota and, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the folks yeah. going back and forth and everything like that. But no, it's uh, the, the tractor companies are they do a really good job of making sure that, you know, they make it affordable to be able to purchase complex pieces of equipment like this. And, oh, yeah. You know, I always like to give you a nudge to say, oh, well, now that you got it paid off, maybe you should trade it in and get a, a Kubota <laughs> or something like that. But. You know everybody likes their brand for a certain reason. I got into the Kubota more than anything because it was a price point thing. I was, I same here. It was, uh, it was they had a deal, and it would have been significantly more for me to get a brand new one or even to get a John Deere one. And at the time, we were kind of budget conscious on it, so I yep. went the route of you know what works. And I think that's what some people should do when they're looking at that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, our first tractor was a John Deere, and we got the John Deere because when we moved down to where Clean Slate Farm, where we are now, we had a lot more lawn to mow. Uh, And I had the John Deere dealer come down. I was thinking of just like a little rider kind of thing. And he says, oh, he goes, you might want something bigger. And he convinced me because at the time we had the horse and I had a lot of, you know, uh, stuff to move around with a bucket. And he convinced me to go with the one series and they had a deal on that plus no financing for five, or no finance charge for five years, no brainer. And then about four years later, I was up there buying a filter kit for the tractor, and he said, uh, "Hey, do you want a new tractor?" It's like, "Nah, I don't really want a new tractor." He said, like, "I got a great deal, and it was a two-series tractor." He gave me an amazing amount for our old tractor, and we got the new tractor. And it's a two-series, so it's a little bit bigger, uh, a little bit more oomph, and uh, it was no brainer. So, but what I'm it was, I'm it was may- a price thing.
1: What I'm amazed with is how much tractors hold their value. I mean, a lot of people I know, they get sticker shock when they look at tractors and, um, you know, that type of equipment. Because it's not like a lawn tractor you buy at one of the big box stores where it's, you know, $1,500 or something like that. This is a, a sizable investment. But we had looked at, when I was at the State Fair, we looked at Kubota's and possibly doing some changes to ours. And I was very happily surprised at how much they would give as a trade just for the value. And then I happened to go on Craigslist just to look up our tractor model and our tractor, even though it's, I think four years old now has depreciated a little, but not as much as a car or a boat or anything else. I, I'm, I, I hate to say it, but I think we're at like 80% of what we paid for it easily. Yeah. And I was, I was just shocked. I thought it would have been like half that or whatever, but no, it, uh, they hold their value. So if you ever want to make the investment, it's definitely worth it. You can, yep. You know, if you need to get your money back out of it again, it's pretty simple to do. Yeah,
0: We got about 80% when we did the trade up. So, and it was four-year-old tractor. And, and it, you know, it had serious, I mean, we mow, we've got two acres of of property to mow here. Plus all the, the bucket work, you know, with the compost pile and moving horse stall shavings. And so it it got to work out.
1: I'd have to say the thing that surprises me the most about the Kubota tractors is the fuel efficiency. And I mean, I'm not here to sell anybody on a Kubota tractor or anything like that. But one of the things that I found is we'll fill up the tank and how many hours I can get on the tractor. Like we were digging out the egress windows on the cabin project and I would have figured we would have gone through a significant amount because that's a lot of work for the backhoe on there. And I looked at the the tank and I was barely uh, between, you know, three quarters and A full tank i barely used you know an eighth of a tank or whatever it was working for almost a full day out there yep
0: Yeah. yep yeah diesels are amazingly efficient so i think we we might use if we use 15 gallons in a year i'd be surprised so yeah
1: i the the one that surprises me is the skid steer that one that one does chew the fuel pretty fast it uh we were out working on moving the logs and things like that around. And I was just, I looked at the fuel gauge I'm like, holy cow, we're at a half a tank already. And we've only got a day and a half into this. So yeah.
0: Now you've got the, uh, the backhoe, right?
1: Uh, no, we have a, well, we have a, a Kubota tractor with a, with the the a back, the the backhoe. Bucket,
0: yeah. The backhoe one. Uh, it's an attachment backhoe. Yep. 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 And then you've got the snowblower.
1: Yeah, We have the snowblower. Um, I have a, a, brush hog for the back, a box blade, uh, which we use for doing the driveways and maintaining the driveways. And then uh, a straight blade for the back of it also to, um, you know, when we're doing stuff out in the woods and the trails where you sure. don't want to rough up that much dirt, yep. that works really good for that.
0: That's uh, if you're, if anybody's considering buying a tractor, get the stuff while you can on <laughs> because now I'm looking at a snowblower and it's like $4,200 for a snowblower for this thing. And So do you have a cab? The, uh, no
1: cab. No, no cab. No yeah. cab. But you know, I look at snow blowing and let people ask me about that all the time. Well, you don't have a cab for your tractor between walking out and I start it. And then I walk back in the house usually and get dressed or whatever, go out there and we do our snow blowing that we need to do. I'm out there maybe 15 minutes. It's not like I'm out there for, you know, three hours. If you had a parking lot you were doing every week or if you had something like that, I could see getting in the cab. But for us. A cab would get destroyed in the woods, you know, driving through oh. the woods and sticks and branches and everything because, you know, we have all those trails. We have probably five miles of trails out on the property here that we maintain with the tractor. And mm-hmm. I I would I was fearful that if I got a cab that it would get destroyed out in the woods during the time of, you know, when we'd be using it mostly.
0: Yeah, it'll come in handy at the campground, though, right? Will you be able to oh, use yeah. it there?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. We've actually already had the Kubota over there. I've got the skid steer over there right now because we're doing a bunch of cleanup projects and stuff like that. And that goes really quickly when you have a track vehicle. So mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Well, hey, Will, it's been great talking to you again. Good luck with the campground. Keep us posted. Uh, anybody watching or watching, I say that all the time, listening, uh, It's g- give us your social contacts again. So it's...
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, I, my normal uh, stuff for my family. So here's how I'm kind of splitting it up. Is my normal family stuff is either on Facebook, Instagram, you're so or YouTube. Log-
0: I don't mean inter- You're so logical. Here's why I'm splitting. Up. Everything is a task to you. I love it.
1: I have an Excel spreadsheet for my Excel <laughs> spreadsheets. Okay. Um. All of my personal stuff is on the Weekend Homestead, so you can follow it on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. And then the resort itself is the Bear Paw Resort and Campground in Birchwood, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook there. And, and I'm cross-pollinating stuff, too, because the folks at the Weekend Homestead have been really supportive of our project. So I just said, hey, we got a new project we're working on, and everybody's pretty excited about it. So
0: Cool. Okay, well, hey, good talking to you again. Hey, thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast. Uh, that was a fun talk with Will Wallace. And uh, coming soon, I'm trying to arrange a, an interview with a dairy farmer, talk about the dairy industry, and I personally think it's a mess, but she's going to let us know. Uh, we're working on that one. Hey, find us on YouTube, find us on Instagram. Thanks for listening again, and please subscribe. Bye-bye.